This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door. And I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Oh, Lord, you know I have no friend like you. If heaven's not my home, then Lord, what will I do? The angels beckon me from morning. Welcome to Northside. We are glad that you are here this morning, and we always realize that every Sunday we have uh, a, col- a bit large collection of members. I started to say a collection of large members, and I didn't think that would go over well. A large collection of members, and we also have a large number of guests with us, and especially if you're a guest with us, we want to say a special welcome to you. We're so thankful that you're here. If you're on spring break, uh, coming to see the family, or if you're here for any other reason, we are just thrilled that you are with us this morning and hope that you'll come and join us again at any opportunity. We do have a guest lunch that we have prepared for you in expectation of you attending, and we hope that you will make plans to attend. You don't have to bring anything. Just join us right after the final amen. Go across the foyer to the multipurpose room, and the food will be ready there. We'll have a prayer and, and, uh, and have enjoy lunch together. I also want to mention that we have a a session that we haven't had in a little while called New to Northside uh, for our regular guests, people who, and we have lots every week that come, and maybe you want to know a little bit more about who we are and what we believe. Maybe you want to know how it is that you get plugged in, how do you uh, become a member, uh, if you just have maybe some questions for us. Sometimes it's a little bit hard to do it in a setting like this or to catch the preacher or figure out who an elder is. Uh, we would like to invite you to New to Northside. It will be today. Uh, even if you haven't planned to stay, you're welcome to stay for guest lunch. And then right about noon, we'll meet together uh, there on the Southwest Classroom. You'll see the sign there. And uh, we'd be thrilled to have you as a part of that if you'd like to know more about Northside. And uh, we'd certainly like to get to know you a little bit better this morning. If you paid attention to your order of worship, you'll notice that uh, things are a little different this morning. We're going in a different order because we're giving special focus this morning in our songs, in our prayers, in our scriptures toward the cross of Jesus. And this is part of our sermon series, and we're talking about uh, when Jesus came from earth and he went to the cross. And yes, we have that almost every Sunday, but we're giving special devotion and attention to that today. And so as part of that, we're really going to focus in on the time where we come together to meet together at his table. So we pray that you'll pay attention and give special focus and direct your heart in that matter. Speaking of directing our hearts, one of our shepherds will now lead us as we invoke God's presence to worship Him.
I'd like to read a passage out of Psalms 29. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Would you pray with me, please? Our most holy Heavenly Father, we know that you are the Father of, of all creation, a righteous and holy and loving Father. We revere your name and know you as our Creator, our Father and our Lord. This morning as we read and, and study passages out of your Holy Word and as we worship you, I pray that you let us see and experience your presence through your splendor, your wisdom, your peace and comfort, your strength and your love, the kind of love that allowed you to send your Son to this earth so that all of us and all of mankind has hope for redemption and salvation through his death on a cross. This is our prayer to you through the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Would you all stand, please? My soul magnifies the Lord.
my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered. I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. You are my strength when I am weak. You are the strength and I am weak. You are my God, you are. Father, we're so thankful for the day. Uh, Father, we're thankful that we can come together with family. And Father, these songs that we sing, that we do glorify you and magnify you, Father. And you are our all. And Father, we want you to be our all. But Father, you know, we want to glorify you in this worship. We want to focus on the singing. We want to focus on your word. But, Father, the most important thing is the cross. Father, if it hadn't been for the cross, we wouldn't need to be here. But, Father, we realize that your son gave up his life, shed his blood, and died on that cross. But then he rose from the grave, and that was the glory. And, Father, we, I, we do realize that each one of us have a cross to bear here. But, Father, we need to look to the cross of Jesus. And that's where we get our hope. That's where we get our strength. And that's where we want to be, is in your arms, to be focused on that. But, Father, 
we all are on different journeys, and it's tough. So, Father, bless each one of us. Father, we pray a special blessing on the speaker of the hour. And, Father, I want you to cover him with your presence. And, Father, help the Holy Spirit to guide his words and thoughts. Father, accept this service and this worship. And, Father, we give you all the glory and the praise. In your Son's precious and holy name, amen. At this time, parents, you may dismiss your children if they're from ages three up through first grade. You can go ahead and make your way back to class while we sing and get ready for the lesson, Jesus, Keep Me Near the Cross. Jesus, keep me near the cross, there are precious chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. On Sunday mornings, uh, we are in a series called Journey, and we are looking at Jesus' journey from heaven to earth and then to return. We began that journey just a week ago by talking about when, when he came from heaven to earth. And indeed, that was a long journey, but he didn't mind it because of his great love for us. He came from heaven to earth. And when he was on earth, he had a purpose. He had a mission. He was always about one destination. That was the cross. For you and I, especially as we make week in and week out, it's easy, though it shouldn't be, 
to take that journey for granted. But if we can talk just a minute this morning, I really want you to focus your minds and your hearts toward the cross and to think about why the cross was necessary. I've heard people say, the cross is such a cruel instrument of death. Did, Did God really have to have the cross? Was the death really necessary and we, the first thing we understand is that the cross was the plan of God. It was always the plan of God uh, from the very beginning. Last week we mentioned Genesis chapter 3 when he said that the uh, seed of woman would crush the head of the serpent, but that the serpent would bruise the heel of the seed of woman. He was talking there about Jesus. The the cross was in the mind of God long before we knew that we even needed it. If you'll turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 53, we're going to step forward several centuries, but we're still a solid six, six and a half centuries until Jesus comes on the scene, until he's born in the flesh. The prophet Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 53, spoke of the cross. He's talking about the suffering servant. And for many years, there was speculation, was Isaiah speaking of himself or someone else? The Jews understood that the Messiah was to be this man in Isaiah chapter 53. And starting in verse 4, the prophet writes, Surely he was born of our griefs and carried our sorrows, and yet we considered him stricken, smitten, by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And by his wounds we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. Every one. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. A cross, just to be quite frank about it, doesn't sound like a great plan. It doesn't sound like a fair plan. Why does our iniquity, the punishment that we deserve, go on one that didn't sin? Why is it given to one who didn't deserve that? Hardly seems fair. It didn't seem, sound like a great plan to us, and it certainly didn't sound like a great plan to the disciples. If you'll turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16, you'll remember a familiar conversation between Jesus and his disciples. Now, what's interesting about the book of Matthew, as you turn there, is that the entire book of Matthew, from the first chapter to about the 16th chapter, is all about who Jesus was. From the genealogy to his own statements about himself, he was very clear that he was the Son of God. But in chapter 16, Matthew takes a turn in presenting the story of the life of Jesus. The focus moves from becoming who he was and instead to about what he came to do. You see, some people had visions of what Jesus came to do that weren't in line with what Jesus came to do. They weren't in line with the plan of God. If you're in Matthew chapter 16, hopefully you're, you're there, and you're looking about verse 21. From that time on, 
Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. Whoa, 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 wait a second. This, this wasn't what the plan was all about. You see, from the moment Jesus had met them, he said, I will make you fishers of men. And so they hitched their, their wagon to his little star, and he began to rock it up like a Bitcoin investment. I mean, he just became more and more popular. People began to pay attention. People, he began to stump the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the teachers of the law. Nobody could understand him, but they sure couldn't stop him. Crowds began to gather as the miracles began to happen. He began to feed thousands and thousands and do miracles, and they began to get in their minds, oh, yeah. We have made the right investment here. This guy is going to be king. And it's not just about impressing the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He did that when he was about 12 years old. No, here in Jesus, they thought he was going to take over and be king of Israel. And not just to rule them, but to overthrow Rome. You see, they had visions of grandeur in their mind about who Jesus was. And Jesus knew who he was. But when he starts talking about what he came to do... When he starts telling them that, no, 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 listen, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. And it's not going to be like every other trip to Jerusalem. This time I'm not leaving. And it's not because I'm going to be king. Oh, I'll be king, but a very different kind of king. Peter hears that. And he does something unusual. Peter took him aside and he began to rebuke him, saying, now, maybe you've argued with God, maybe you've questioned God. I don't know if you've ever rebuked God, but I would give you a word of warning, that's not a wise thing to do. And Peter rebukes, in that day and age, to rebuke your master, to rebuke your teacher, to rebuke your rabbi, was the as the pure, purest kind of disrespect and dishonor. It was a very uh, offensive thing that Peter would do to rebuke his disciple. You say, why would Peter rebuke uh, his rabbi whom he loved? Because the thing which the rabbi had said was so counterintuitive to what he was expecting. Peter began to rebuke him. Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. You see, the cross was not in Peter's plan, but it was certainly in God's. Verse 23 says, but he turned to Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of men. He took his beloved Peter, who he had called out from that boat he had followed him many years. Peter had said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, but he didn't fully get it. And he rebukes Peter and he says, get behind me, Satan. Did, did he think Peter was Satan? No, he understood that the enemy would use those closest to Jesus to try to thwart what Jesus knew his purpose was when he came to this earth. It was to come, not to reign but to humble himself to death, even death on the cross. In fact, the cross was the purpose of Jesus. And starting in Matthew chapter 16 and moving on in Matthew chapter 17, he predicts who would do it. He, they were gathering in Galilee. Jesus said to them, the Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. And they will kill him and he will be raised on the third day. And look what it says, they were greatly 
distressed. He didn't just know who would do it. He knew where it would happen. It was going to be in Jerusalem, the place where the Jews every year would walk up that hill as they would lead behind them a lamb. And the purpose of the lamb was one thing, to be sacrificed, to be offered, to be killed, to be slain. That white wool which surrounded the lamb would soon be stained blood red. And everybody knew that. When Jesus was called the Lamb of God, he understood what that really meant. The Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and he will be raised on the third day. You see, Jesus took the position of absolute humility. The scripture that Matt read Philippians 2, 8 through 11, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. We don't fully get that because you and I, we're human beings. We're not used to understanding the humility that Jesus had to have when he came from heaven to earth and he put on human skin. When the infinite became finite, when the all-powerful became limited in that moment, he absolutely humbled himself, but it didn't just stop there. You see, he could have been a human being that came to reign and to rule over us and to destroy us and to rule with all might and authority and power and honor that he was due and that all the angels would have gathered around him to make happen. But he didn't do that. Philippians 2 says he goes from being a man to humbling himself to death. You understand, he is over death. That many times he would send death out to go and do what he needed done. And now he's humbling himself, not just as a man, but even to death. And not just to any death. You see, when you and I think about death and we think about how we're going to die, we hope it's going to be a very dignified thing. We hope that people will come and say good things about us. We hope that people will come and, and, and shed a few tears and maybe laugh at a few good memories they'll have. But with Jesus, he wouldn't get to die that kind of death. No, he was going to die death on a cross. It's a criminal's death. Every time Jewish people saw men on a cross groaning and gasping and begging for life and air and watching as they bled to death or died from exposure, they were absolutely humiliated. The, the purpose of the cross was to humiliate those who were on it and to send a message. If you mess with Rome, you get the cross. And Jesus humbled himself to death, even death on a cross, there would be no nice words for those around him would fear that they would get the same retribution. When he was on the cross, those around him jeered and mocked and beat him and scoured him and ripped his holy flesh apart. And that wasn't the worst part of the cross because the cross was absolutely a physically painful experience. But the worst part of the cross was that the first time in all of eternity since before or up to now or even beyond, the Father was separated from the Son, for it was the spiritual agony of the cross, not the physical, that made it so dark. For in that moment, for the first time, Father was separated from Son in a way they had never been. And it was because the Son laid Himself down. In the cross, you see, we see both the justice and the mercy of God. Earlier this week, I was involved in a car wreck. I, I wasn't hurt. It wasn't in the chick a drive-through line. Don't worry. But I was at a at a light, and two cars back, a lady wasn't paying attention. She was driving just the regular speed and hit the car in front of her, which hit the car in front of him, which was me. 
And I wasn't really banged up or hurt, thankfully. The cars got a little damaged. But you see, what, what's happening now is we're trying to work out two equally opposing ideas, the idea of justice and mercy. Those who were wounded want justice. Those who were, uh, had damage to their car or maybe physically hurt want justice. Essentially, that means they want an insurance company, somebody, to write a check to pay for the damage. That's justice. And the one who caused the accident, the one who, the insurance company who represents the one who caused the accident, you know what they're seeking? A little bit of mercy. You see, why couldn't God just forgive our sins and not have to have the cross? He could have been perfectly merciful. The problem is he wouldn't be perfectly just or holy. In the cross, you see, he pours out his justice. I'm the only one who could take it. You see, you and I couldn't take it. Some people say, oh, it should have been me on the cross. Absolutely not. You couldn't bear your own sin for a single second. God poured out his justice on the cross on his son because of you and because of me. And in one sweeping act of justice, he was able to grant mercy to all those who would believe. He gave us the right to become children of God. Hebrews 10.14 says, By one sacrifice, He has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. And so we might be delivered from sin. That's mercy. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake He made Him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Why do that? Why offer His Son? Why go through such suffering because of us? The reason is illustrated by a story. There was a certain professor of religion named Dr. Christensen a studious man who taught at a small college in the western United States. Dr. Christensen taught that the required survey course in Christianity at this particular institution. Every student was required to take this course his or her freshman year, regardless of his or her major. Although Dr. Christensen had tried hard to communicate the gospel in this class, he found that most of his students looked upon the course with drudgery. Despite his best efforts, most students refused to take Christianity seriously. This year, Dr. Christensen had a special student named Steve. Steve was only a freshman, but he was studying with the intent of going into the ministry. Steve was also popular, well-liked, and he was an imposing physical specimen, much like your preacher. He was... That wasn't a joke. He was... Now starting the starting center on the school football team, and he was by far the best student in the professor's class. One day, Dr. Christensen asked Steve to stay after class and so he could talk. He said, Steve, how many push-ups can you do? Steve said, I could do about 200 every night. 200? That's pretty good. You think you could do 300? 300? I don't know about that. I've never done 300 at a time. He said, well, I can try. He said, the good news is I just need you to do them in sets of 10. I just need you to do 300 push-ups in sets of 10. I have a project, uh, and I need you to be able to tell me that you can do it. So he says, yeah, I think I can do it. Good. I need you to do it this Friday. 
Let me explain what I have in mind. Friday came, Steve got to class early and sat in the front of the room. And when the class started, the professor pulled out a big box of donuts. Now, these weren't normal kinds of Dylan's donuts. These were the extra fancy Hertz donuts kind of thing with the big cream on top, the frosting and the swirls and the whole bit. Everyone was very excited because it was Friday. This was the last class of the day. And now they were going to have a party in Dr. Christensen's class. Dr. Christensen went to the girl in the first row and said, Cynthia, would you like one of these donuts? Cynthia said, yes. Dr. Christensen turned to Steve and said, Steve, would you do 10 push-ups so that Cynthia can have a donut? Sure. Steve jumped down from his desk to do a quick 10. He got up again, sat at his desk. Dr. Christensen put a donut on Cynthia's desk. Dr. Christensen then went to Joe, the next person, and asked, Joe, do you want a donut? Joe said, absolutely. Dr. Christensen said, Steve, would you do 10 push-ups so Joe can have a donut? Steve did 10 10 push-ups again. Joe got a donut. And so it went down the first aisle. Steve did 10 push-ups for every person before they got their donut. And down the second aisle until Dr. Christensen came to Scott. Now, Scott was on the basketball team and and as, as good a condition as Steve. Very popular never lacking in female companionship. And the professor said, Scott, do you want a donut? Scott's reply was, well, I can do my own push-ups. Dr. Christensen said, no, Steve's got to do them. And Scott said, well, I don't want one then. Dr. Christensen shrugged and said, okay, Steve, would you do 10 push-ups so Scott can have a donut that he doesn't want? With perfect obedience, Tim, Steve did 10 more push-ups. Scott protested, hey, I didn't want one. Dr. Christensen said, look, this is my classroom, my class, my books, these desks, and these are my donuts. Just leave it on the desk if you don't want it. And he put a donut on Scott's desk. Now, by this time, Steve was beginning to slow down. He stayed on the floor between sets because it took too much effort to get up and get down. You could start to see a little perspiration as he began. People were beginning to get a little bit angry as Dr. Christensen started down the third row. Dr. Christensen said, Jenny, do you want a donut? Sternly, Jenny said, no. Then Dr. Christensen asked Steve, Steve, would you do 10 more push-ups so that Jenny can have a donut that she doesn't want? Steve did 10. Jenny got a donut. By now, a growing sense of uneasiness filled the room. The students were beginning to say no, and there were all these uneaten donuts in the class. Steve really had to put on a lot more effort with all these extra push-ups done for each donut. There began to be a small pool of sweat On the floor beneath his face, his arms and his brow were beginning to get red because of the physical effort involved. Dr. Christensen asked Robert, the most vocal unbeliever in class, to watch Steve do each push-up to make sure he did the full ten push-ups in a set because he couldn't bear to watch all of Steve's work for all those uneaten donuts. He sent Robert to where Steve was so Robert could count the set and watch Steve closely. And he continued on the fourth row. During his class, however, some students from other classes had wandered in, sat down on the steps, and sat by the radiators down the sides of the classroom. When the professor realized this, he did a quick count and saw that there were now 34 students in the room. He started to worry if Steve would be able to make it. Dr. Christensen went on to the next person and the next and the next. Near the end of the row, Steve was really, really having a tough time. He was taking a lot more time to do the 10 push-ups. Steve asked Dr. Christensen, Do I have to make my nose touch on each one? Dr. Christensen said, well, they're your push-ups. You're in charge now. You do them any way you want. Dr. Christensen went on. A few moments later, Jason, the transfer student, came to the room and was about to come into the classroom when all the students yelled in one voice, No! Don't come in! Stay out! 
Jason didn't know what was going on. Steve picked up his head and said, no, let him come. Professor Christensen said, you realize if Jason comes in, you will have to do ten more push-ups. Dr. Christensen said, let him come. Give him a donut. Dr. Christensen said, okay, Steve, I'll let you get Jason. Jason's out of the way right now. Jason, do you want a donut? Jason, new to the room and hardly knowing what was going on, said, yes, give me a donut. Steve, will you do ten push-ups so that Jason can have a donut? Steve did ten push-ups very slowly and with great effort. Jason, bewildered, was handed a donut, which he didn't seem to hunger as much for when he began. Dr. Christensen continued. These then started the visitors seated by the heaters. Steve's arms were now were shaking with each push-up in a struggle to lift himself against the force of gravity. Sweat was coming off of him profusely, and by this time there was no sound in the classroom except for the sound of heavy breathing and not a dry eye in the room. The very last two students in the room were two young women, both cheerleaders, very popular. Dr. Christensen went to Linda, the second to the last. Linda, do you want a donut? Linda said very sadly, no thank you. Professor Christensen said, Steve, please do ten push-ups so that Linda can have a donut that she doesn't want. Grunting from the effort, Steve did ten very slow push-ups for Linda. Dr. Christensen turned to the last girl, Susan. Do you want a donut? Susan, with tears coming down her face, began to cry. Dr. Christensen, why can't I help him? Dr. Christensen, with tears of his own, said, No, Steve has to do it alone. I have given him this task. And he is in charge of seeing that everyone has the opportunity for a donut, whether they want it or not. When I decided to have a party for the last day of class, I looked at my grade book. Steve, you see, is the only student with a perfect grade. Everyone else has failed a test or skipped a class or offered inferior work. Steve told me that in football practice, when a player messes up, he's got to do push-ups. I told Steve that none of you could come to my party unless he paid the price by doing your push-ups. And he and I made a deal for your sake. Steve would do ten push-ups so Susan can have a donut. As Steve finished very slowly his last push-up, with the understanding that he had accomplished all that was required, having done 350 push-ups, his arms buckled beneath him and he fell to the floor. Two of the students helped Steve up off the floor, and Steve, physically exhausted, but wearing a smile. Well done, good and faithful servant, said the professor. Not all sermons are preached with words. It's a parable. It's an earthly story with heavenly meaning. Why was the cross necessary? Because God demonstrated the fullness of his justice and the completeness of his mercy in one Beautiful act. Theologians have debated, questioned, why, wondering, how, when did God come up with this, and what was his purpose, and why did he do it? And my deep theological answer is one very simple children's song. And if you know it, you can sing it with me. Jesus loves me, this I know. 
For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to Him belong. They are weak, but He is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. You see, the cross shows the unmitigated, unparalleled, unexplainable love of God. Romans 5.8 says, God demonstrated his own love for us in this, that Christ died for us. The cross, you see, means everything to us. And Jesus knew how great a price he would have to pay. It was more than push-ups. He laid down his life physically, and he was separated from the Father spiritually. It was the perfect plan of God to show his justice, his mercy, and his love. Let us continue in our worship this morning by drawing near to the place where, the hap- where that happened. As we come near, let us remember what Jesus did by listening to the sounds of the cross. Will you please put away your papers and just listen as we think about what the cross sounded like that day.
saw in the film, and it's in John 19, where he said, on the cross, it is finished. It struck me as I read, prepared for this, it is finished. I kept hearing that in my head. It is finished. Sometimes now, I begin to think we should talk to the elders. When we baptize someone, we pull them out of the water, maybe we should say, it is finished. In Corinthians, Paul talks about it. When the perishable puts puts on the imperishable, and the mortar puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? At the cross, it was finished. When we go down in that water, we come back up, it is finished. The worry, the fear, it is finished. We belong to the Lord. Maybe we could give it away, but the devil himself can't take it from us. In our Lord and the blood. Let's pray for the communion. Dear Heavenly Father, gracious, glorious God, maker, creator of everything, as we take this bread that represents the body of your Son, Jesus, let us remember that what he did, the suffering that he did, that belonged to us, taken from us, not because we deserved it, but because he loved us. We ask that we, we think of him as we take this bread and think about his pain on the cross. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Play for the drink. Heavenly Father, glorious God, righteous, sinless God, as we take this emblem of the blood of your Son, help us to concentrate on the victory that He gave, that He won for us, the victory that covers us. Let us strengthen our hearts, let us live like we have earned, like that victory. Let us live like we've been saved by the blood of a righteous one who died and gave his blood to cover us and to cover our sins. And we can come to you as sons and daughters, as many people across the world take this, do what we do right now, are our brothers and sisters. Gracious glory to you. In Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. As we prepare for our contribution, I'm made to think about 
the value of what we give back to God. God had a plan that he would send his son to us for the redemption of our sins. He gave the most valuable thing there was to us. And the reason he did that was because he loved us so much. And as we thought about the, the guy with the donuts this morning and as more people came in and they saw what he was going through before they could have a donut, I can only imagine what the people standing around the cross or standing in the street when they saw Jesus dragging the cross down the street, what, what they thought of. And when they realized that who he truly was and the earth shook and the, the, the sky turned black and he gave up his life, I think they realized how valuable a thing that God was giving us. And the reason he gave that to us is because he loved us so much. See, God had a plan. And I think when it comes time for us to give back a portion of what we earn to God, that we need to have a plan. Rather than waiting until the plate comes by us and reaches in and grab a dollar and throw it in the plate so, nobody, so we won't be embarrassed. That's not what it's about. It's about giving back to God what he's blessed us with. And to me, I think about what I give to him shows how much I love him. And I do that in return to let him know that his, his sacrifice was very, very valuable to me. Shall we pray? Father in heaven, I just thank you for this opportunity that you have given us to give back a portion of what we've been blessed with, to show you how much we love you, to let you know that we understand the great price that you paid when Jesus came down. Father, we just pray that we would do this in a loving way, with a kind heart, and with a realization of what we are doing. Please forgive us of our sins and bless this offering. In Christ's name we pray. There's a place where mercy reigns and never dies. There's a place where streams of grace flow deep and wide, where all the
along to the person on the right. When it gets to the end, go ahead and pass it back to the left. Back to where it was, back to where it started. And it also, if you have any prayer requests, I'd like to ask you to go ahead and take a card and fill it in with whatever prayer request you have. Put it back uh, in the pew in front of you and then take your card and you can drop it in one of the wooden boxes in the auditorium. Toby's going to come back up and give us some closing thoughts. And before he does that, we're going to sing The Heart of a Servant. Give me the heart of a servant, tender and faithful and true. Fill me with love and use me, O Lord, so that the world can see you. Give me the heart of
morning, the focus of worship has been to bring us near to the foot of the cross. Whereas one said, the ground is very level. And where I say, we are all beggars at the foot. That if heaven is not a gift, none of us are getting in. Galatians chapter 2 verse 20, the Apostle Paul wrote these words. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. When we focus on the cross, and we realize how great a price has been paid that we might be in heaven with God, and may we respond rightly, may we live the crucified life. Not living to ourselves, but living with Christ Jesus as Lord. If you are in a place in your life where you have not given your life to Jesus in submission and obedience to the gospel, Jesus said it's very simple. See, human beings, we tend to make it more complicated than it needs to be. Jesus said in Mark sixteen sixteen, He who believes and is baptized will be saved. If you do not know the saving power of the cross, if you have not yet been immersed into His blood, we can do that with you this morning. And we'll be glad to help you to be baptized into Christ, which is not the last step, but really the first step of following Him all the way home to heaven. And maybe you've done that at one time. Maybe it's been a few weeks ago or many decades ago. But maybe you've drifted from the cross. Maybe you've slid away and lost your focus and forgotten who is Lord. I want to encourage you tonight, or this morning to repent, to turn away, to turn back to the Lord. And if you'd like to respond this morning, our shepherds would be glad to pray with you. And most importantly, to pray for you. If we can help you in any way, either to put on Christ or to return back to Christ, come to the foot of the cross. The ground is level. We're ready. Our shepherds will come and be here to receive you as together we stand and sing this song.